Thank you for joining us today for the Gospel Light Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Lenentine. We are a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, gospel-centered church family located in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. We are motivated to love God, grow together, and serve others. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us at gospellightbaptist.org. Now we hope you enjoy today's message from Pastor Brent Lenentine. Psalm 138, Psalm 138. So this will tie in really with what it is that uh, we'll look at here and, and just again this prayer for what God can do. And so Psalm 138, it says, I will praise thee with my whole heart before the, before the, before the gods. I'm sorry, I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods. So all of the other um, the ones that call themselves God, but of course have no power at all. He says that I will praise thee before these gods. I will sing praise unto thee. I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy, what now does it say? Word. Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now that's the key verse that we're going to look at. But there's some great truths in this chapter. But this is what the psalmist said, which is so amazing. And this is what he knew about God. He said that I know that God then has taken and put his word above his name, right? And you say, well, well how could that be? Because the word is about him, right? The Bible is about God. So how would the word be above his name? And yet, here's what I want to understand. We wouldn't know the name of God if it were not for the word of God. We wouldn't know who God is. We wouldn't know how to be saved. We wouldn't know our need of salvation. We wouldn't know our sinful condition. We wouldn't know any of that if it wasn't for the word of God. So there are, there are key doctrines uh, of the Christian faith that in the Bible college, uh, you would study some of them, 10 of them or so, and what you would call key doctrines of the Bible that you would need to know to teach and to preach and that. And so really kind of drills down on those doctrines. What's so interesting is that most every time when those are taught, they always start with the doctrine of the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God. And the reason for that is without the foundation of the Bible, we know nothing else about God. We don't know who God the Father is. We don't know God the Son. We don't know Holy Spirit. We don't know the sinfulness of man. We don't know how to be saved. We don't know heaven. We don't know hell. We don't know anything without the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We don't know anything without the Word of God. And so it says then in verse number 2 that I will magnify, it says, it will magnify, thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answered me and strengthenest me with strength in thy soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Uh, thou, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble... And this is certainly one of the characteristics throughout this study for the child of God that we're looking at is though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will uh, perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works 
of thine own hands. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless and lead now in this time. We're so very, very thankful for your precious word and for the opportunity to be able to come and to gather together on this Lord's Day in the morning uh, and to be able to be um, in a group uh, and just uh, together with this class uh, in the Word of God. And then also for us to be in the morning service. And I want to thank you for this time. Lord, on Sunday night often is just an opportunity where we take to really challenge our people in, in the matter of real spiritual growth, separation, uh, commitment to the Lord. Certainly this is a commitment series, if you would, where we really be challenged about our faith and standing for our faith. And so I pray that you'd help us and just lead us now this time. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated all over. We've come now as we progress forward in the book of the Trail of Blood. And I'm just drawing some certain things from it, but putting just together a message or a message that will kind of go along with that or with the theme of that. So we now have come out from the time of the Dark Ages, about 1,200 years in which there was great spiritual darkness and great persecution that was upon the earth during that time. It was a very demonic time for the most part. It was uh, just a very uh, sad and sorrowful time, a troublesome time, and also just very much uh, afflictions, especially that were directed towards the people of God. And so now we've come out from these time of the dark ages, uh, and what happens is there's just a whole slew, if you would, of men whom God is raising up. Now, when a want to kind of, um, you know, tag that, or uh, I want to just say that uh, there's, you know, something more to know about that, but nonetheless, God raised up some different men that were brave, that were committed to the Word of God, and committed to uh, the message and the work of God, uh, and so God used them then to carry out this message. John Wycliffe was one of those, and John Wycliffe was called the morning star of the Reformation. He was the one that really started the, um, the, the fires, the spiritual fires and the embers uh, of that fire that was burning. Uh, he was very committed towards getting out the Word of God and especially committed towards the translation of and then getting out the Bible into the hands of the common people. Now, I want you to understand this, if you would. The Catholic Church has never been crazy about the people reading their Bibles. Amen? Uh, that didn't go so well with Martin Luther, but he's never been crazy about it. So we just saw about Hamilton, and Hamilton took the opportunity with this friar to just read to him the Bible and teach him the Word of God, and the friar got saved. That's what happened for anybody. That's the opportunity that anybody will have when they're under the Word of God, is they hear the Word of God and they'll be saved. That's why the Catholics banned the Bible. You can't have the Bible. <clears throat> you can't read the Bible. If you read the Bible, it'll make you go crazy, and they would just do all of those things and threaten and scare them about not reading the Bible and about not getting into the Word of God. And so Wycliffe then got out the Word of God. Now the Catholic Church very quickly learned to hate Wycliffe very, very much. And so Wycliffe then was bringing many people in the Word of God and under the Word of God. And then after Wycliffe died and was buried, the Catholic Church then still becomes so stirred up about the lingering effects of Wycliffe's ministry. More people getting saved, people reading the Bible, they were so mad at Wycliffe, they went over to the graveyard, they dug up his bones, they burned his bones on the fire, they scooped up the ashes of his bones and strewed it on the water uh, because they hated Wycliffe. Now, might I add that Wycliffe was up in heaven laughing all the time, amen? Uh, he said, you're not hurting me at all. Uh, I'm up here in heaven, and you're just only driving the message that I preached further uh, all the way, and you're scattering it out in every direction. John Huss was one that followed after him. 
And he was a very brave man, but very painful life, and also a life that was cut short, about 33 years old. And then there was one who was Savonarola, and he was one of the very early reformers. And the reason why he's noted in here, and I think it's important, is because many of the early reformers were actually Catholic priests. And the reason for that was that, one, they were the one that had something of an access to whatever Bible there was, a Latin Bible. They had some access to that. Some of them were supposed to be learned and scholared men, and so that also helped them. But at the same time, they understood the errors of how far the Catholic Church had drifted or moved off of the truths of the Word of God. And so many of these early reformers were, in fact, Catholics. We have Zwingli, which we heard of in part last week. We have Martin Luther, as we just spoke of now which is really what we would call the official start <clears throat> of the time of the Reformation. And then we have John Calvin, indirectly now we're actually talking about him this morning. I say indirectly because it was really tagged on him. And some would say that John Calvin wouldn't be a five-point Calvinist today if he were living today. But nonetheless, Calvin then certainly uh, leaned into that and took that message and distributed it out. And now just amongst all of this and throughout all of this time were the, the Baptists, the Anabaptists. And what, a, um, what an important group. And these are the ones that we focus on. Now I want you to understand this, that history as a whole um, doesn't recognize the Baptists at all. History as a whole lumps them in with the Reformation and the Protestant movement. And history as a whole, for the most part, just ignores them. The world says that the Catholic Church is in fact the mother church and that every other Christian movement, every other Christian work is all a break off or a split out from the Catholic Church. That it's the mother of all of these different churches. Now we would know of course that the Catholic Church is the mother of all the Protestant churches because they protested and came out from the Catholic Church. We didn't protest, we proclaimed, amen? We were, uh, we were not in the Catholic Church. It's really hard to come out of something that you weren't in, right? And so we didn't come out of the Catholic Church. And there was Bible believers that were there all the time and then all the way through as they stood. What's interesting is, is that these reformers started catching on to something that the Baptists, what the Catholic Church called the Anabaptists or Rebaptizers, these reformers started catching on to something that the Baptists knew all along, and that's something about this book, amen? This book is important, this book will change lives, and this book uh, will do a great work in the people's lives. And so they started to figure out what it is that the Baptists knew. The Anabaptists actually were helpful towards them. They were kind towards them. They were receptive as they would do a Bible translation and as they would try to get the word of God out to the common people. They were not enemies against them, but rather they were trying to be fellow helpers to the truth. They were just trying to get the truth of the word of God out. But what it did with the reformers, uh, unfortunately, or a part of it, was that it drew these Baptists out of some different areas of hiding or seclusion. And what that allowed to do was obviously these now, now Protestants to attack uh, the, um, the, the, the Baptists also. So we understand then that the Catholic, the mother church, did many and great evils against these Bible-believing Baptists. And now from that, there were those that would be Luther's, the Lutherans from Martin Luther, the Presbyterians that would come out of Switzerland and that, and it would be the group of the Presbyterian churches. And it's interesting to note that there was a common enemy. The common enemy between the Catholics and the Lutherans, the common enemy between the Catholics and the Presbyterians were the Baptists. 
They despised them. They hated the Baptists, and they wanted nothing to do with them. They didn't conform with their game. They didn't do infant baptisms, and they didn't believe in baptismal regeneration, that the baptism in the church is what saves you and what washes away your sins. They didn't believe any of that because it's not Bible, and they just simply stood with the Bible. They stood on the Word of God. Now, we had those, and then something else arose from this also, and that is that King Henry VIII... Uh, was married to this lady named Catherine, Catherine of Spain. But the problem was is that while he was married to Catherine, he started to have a growing love for Anne, Anne Boleyn. And so he wanted to divorce Catherine and to marry Anne, but um, the church wouldn't let him. He said, I'm the king, who's the church? And uh, they said that you can, it's forbidden, and you can't do that. And so some of his counselors said, why don't you rise up against the Pope and throw off the chains of this Catholic church, and you can do whatever you want to do. Guess what? That sat real well with King Henry. He liked that, amen? So he threw off then the chains of the Catholic Church and started then the Church of England. Now we say all of that just so that you'd understand this. Now there is, if you would imagine, five really clear, distinct enemies against the Baptists, the Anabaptists. One is the Catholic Church, but at this point it's split. So you have the Roman Catholic Church, you have the Greek Orthodox Church, you have the Lutherans, you have the Presbyterians, and you have the Church of England. They all have a common enemy. They hate Baptists because Baptists love the Bible. Amen? And so all of that then lays down a foundation for where it is that we're at and where we find ourselves here in this place in history. So we need to understand that <clears throat> that there are others that have gone on before who have endured persecutions and yet they have stood for the truth. All five of these enemies caused then a very bitter hatred and persecution from these different groups all against the Baptists. And they went, endured this and had, again, mart martyrdom and, and other things and other persecutions as they went forward. Now, I want us if we would to look at this part, and that is just about the importance now of the Word of God. Let me, let me promise you, if I can, we're going to be in Psalm 138, where we just read from. Let me promise you, if we can, that the Bible is really what makes the difference and the distinction between these different groups of religions. The Bible is the defining factor. The Bible is what makes a clear, definite separation between these groups. So what we have on the one side, and we identified, and we call them as the five enemies. And so you have the Roman Catholic Church, now the Western Church. We have the Eastern Church, the Greek Orthodox, the Lutherans and Presbyterians, and the, uh, the Church of England. The commonality amongst all of those churches is that they accepted and they embraced tradition over the Word of God. They said, we want to live by the traditions of the church, by the traditions that were established by the Catholics and by those that we are not forced to have to reject because of extreme um, defiance against the Word of God. So all of those things that we don't have to reject, we're just going to stand and we're going to stand on this orthodoxy that we have learned from generation after generation. So we're going to believe that baptism is what washes away your sins. We're going to believe that sprinkling is the mode in order to have baptism. 
we're going to believe them that infant baptism uh, is going to be the law of the land and required by the church and by the Pope for everybody under any kind of a Catholic jurisdiction. We're going to just continue on with all of those things that we learned from Mama, and we're just bringing it forward into our belief systems that we have today. And so this is what happened as they carried forward. But here's again what I want us to understand. The thing that distinguished them was not west or east, uh, Calvin or Zwingli or you know, King Henry VIII, what distinguished them was not some earthly person or earthly leader, but what distinguished them was the Bible, the Word of God, that they accepted this book as the very Word of God, and they took that and they, drew, they took it to heart, uh, they read it, they memorized it, they, they allowed this book to be the guidepost and the guide the guidance for their life as they went forward, that the Bible would lead and direct them. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so they chose them to receive and to accept the Bible as their final authority in everything that they believed about God, how to be saved, heaven, hell, how to live the Christian life. They accepted all of those things as truths from the word of God. And so of course this made a huge distinction between them and the five enemies and all of these other belief systems because they alone were accepting the truth of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so that's the position that they chose and that's where they stood. By the way, thank God that that's the group I'm aligned with. Amen? Thank God for that and praise the Lord for that. Now listen, I want to say this carefully and I'm thankful for every one of the reformers, every one of the priests, every one of the friars that got saved and started to grow in the Lord and to understand that salvation was by grace through faith. Thank God for all of that. But I just want to say, and maybe this seems hard, but I just want to say they had an obligation before God to separate from the source of all error, which was the Catholic Church, and they didn't do it. They supposed to have separated from it, and they didn't separate from it. They were supposed to take all of those false doctrines that they carried forth from the Catholic Church, and they were supposed to reject them. They were supposed to renounce them. They were supposed to say the Bible singularly is our guideline, uh, our, our guidebook, and we accept the truths of this book above everything else. We are going to be Christians. We are not going to be named after some earthly group or some organization. Now I want to say honestly, they should have done that. They should have done that. When Martin Luther then nailed the 95 Thesis upon the cathedral door, he should have turned around and said, I'm a born again believer, I am leaving the Catholic Church to have nothing to do with its false doctrine forevermore. That's what they should have done. But they didn't do that. They kept on baptizing babies. Come on. They kept baptizing babies as their salvation. They kept persecuting those who preach the truth of Jesus Christ, and those who believe the Bible, <coughs> they kept persecuting the very same people that mama persecuted. And so they didn't separate like they should have. And that's just clear, that's emphatic. And I wanna say it's a problem that we have in the world that we live in, and that is that we hold traditions and we hold friendships and we hold connections very dear to us, and there are times where the things that we just must separate from, and we're not always willing to do it, amen? We're not always willing to do it. I love what, um, what uh, Jack Hiles said one time. Jack Hiles said, and they, they, these were all Southern Baptists, okay? And Jack Hiles would say this statement, and he would say that uh, the, the three R's, he was, he was in the Southern Baptist Convention, and he said the three R's got me in trouble. And he said it was Rice, uh, Roloff, and Robertson. So it was Lee Robertson and Lester Roloff and um, 
and John R. Rice. And so he said, I got in trouble with the three R's, not reading, writing, arithmetic. Have you ever noticed the education of the public school? Only one of them start with R, amen? Isn't that crazy that that's the kind of education that you'd get from the public school, right? And so he said that Rife, Roloff, and Robertson were the ones that got me in trouble. Uh, and, and the characteristic of every one of them was they didn't leave the Southern Baptists. The Southern Baptists kicked them out. But when they left, they said this. Listen to me now. When they left, they didn't form some new denomination. They said, we're going to follow Jesus from the word of God. And it makes all the difference in the world. So the Bible is what distinguishes us. The Bible is what sets us apart. The Bible is what defines us as either true or compromising. Okay? And it's the Bible that makes that definition in our life. Now these Anabaptists, they, they, cling, they cling to... They cleave to, all right, uh, they clave to, Brother Steve, I'm trying to get this word right, that you taught us about yesterday. It was early in the morning and the sun was shining in my eyes. So they, they clave to the word of God and um, they hold to it, they held to it and they said, this book, the Bible, is going to be our authority. Now look if you would um, at Psalm 138 in verse number 2. In Psalm 138 in verse number 2, we need to understand this, that the Bible, the Bible needs to be this priority in our life. It needs to be that which separates us from other groups and other false groups or false directions. So it says that I will praise you with my whole heart before the gods, okay, before the false gods of this world, I will sing praise unto thee. Now, verse number two, it says I will worship, I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified, thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And so thankful that the psalmist figured this out and got this settled in his life. And that David understood about the importance of the word of God. And the Bible was a priority in his life. And that he would pray, that he would read the Bible day by day. Uh, and that it was that priority in his life that he would know God and uh, look into the word of God and allow God's word to lead him and to guide him. In Matthew, in chapter 5, in verse number 18, the Bible says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And that's a powerful verse, maybe a common verse, but a powerful one. And what it tells us is that the Bible is the very word of God. So because the very word of God is not the whims of man, it, it isn't written for just a particular time and just particular um, um, whims or direction of people during that time, but it is an eternal word of God and a universal word of God. It is just as much the word of God today as it was back in the days that we're learning about these Anabaptists as it was all the way back in the beginning of time and all the way forward. It is the very word of God. And that God says everything that he promised and everything that he said would happen will be fulfilled to the letter just as God said that it would. Also in Matthew 24, in verse number 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And so I've said this before, but I think it's helpful for us to understand. As we sit here in this room today, there are a lot of temporal things, <coughs> things that will burn, things that will be destroyed. Some of the great amazing cathedrals from centuries gone by, the vast majority of them have all crumbled, decayed, and they've all fallen, and they no longer stand. There are some that have been very specifically preserved, uh, but nonetheless, even those that are preserved, there is coming a day in which all of them will fall and will collapse. 
this book, that, this building that we're in right now, one day will pass and it will be gone. Uh, all of these things that you see around us in the mountains and the trees, uh, in the rivers of water, all of those things will be gone. But there are two things in here tonight that are eternal. One is our soul, amen? And that is, that is the worm that it dieth not, uh, in that it, it exists and it lives on. For an unsaved person, it dwells, it lives and exists throughout all of eternity in the fires of hell. For a saved person, we live in the presence of God to receive a glorified God body, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So in this room right now, there's something eternal, and it is the souls of every one of us in here. There's also something eternal, and it's the Word of God. Amen? That all of this world will burn up. This building will burn up. The mountains and all of the earth will burn up. This earth will be destroyed. The atmosphere will be destroyed. And all of that will be melted with a fervent heat. But the Bible will stand true. Amen? The Bible will endure forever, O oh Lord. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word. It's settled. Amen? And so thank God for that. So I want us to understand just real quickly about the power of the word of God. So when it tells us, the psalmist said, that God has magnified his word above his name, we understand that it's the word of God that reveals to us about who God is. But we need to also understand that God magnifies his word in that way because it is such an amazing and powerful book. Now we saw in the testimony where John Knox came along after that reformer uh, and um, <coughs> Hamilton uh, some 40 years later and he started preaching with the power of God upon his life and revival broke out and multitudes, multitudes of people got saved. Why? The power of the Holy Spirit using the power of the word of God. That's how it happened. That's what took place. And so I want to understand then about the power now, the power to save and thank God for that. Amen. I want to say that for us as Gospel Baptist Church, this is no time for us to sit here and to be idle or to be indifferent about the Great Commission and about the work that God has called us to do. Let's not sit back and be fearful to go to people and to witness to people and to take the gospel to people. Let's not sit back and be fearful because some people will object or complain about that. When we go out soul winning, I want us to be gracious and loving. I want us to try to be as mature as we possibly can. When we speak to people about Jesus and maybe when we invite them to church, I want us to be mature about that. We had a lady call on Wednesday and said there's little kids that came out. And I said, you know, some younger ones are supposed to be prepared with some older ones in that. But they're just out doing the most important message in the world. And that is telling people about Jesus. Uh, on, we had a big day on Saturday with a lot of people going out. We had somebody that called later on Saturday afternoon and said, you really wasn't supposed to do that. And I'm not telling you that to scare you in any way. Here's what I'm telling you is the business of the Lord is too important not to do it. Amen? It's just too important to not do it. You have to do it. You have to be busy about it. We've got to be loving. We've got to be gracious. We've got to be kind. But we have to do it. Amen? We have to do it. And so I want to say that there's a power, the word of God, there's a power to save. In 1 Peter 1 and verse number 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so this book is so powerful. What did Hamilton do again with the Catholic friar? He just opened the Bible and started reading to him verse and verse. This is what the Bible says about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible says about baptism. And that baptism comes after salvation to show publicly that you believed in Jesus Christ and were saved. And he just goes through and teaches them you know, truth after truth after truth from the Bible. So this friar, listen, who had been trained in the Catholic orthodoxy. This friar who had a very high prominent position. This friar who relative to the poor people around them made a really 
really, really good salary. And this friar left all of that behind to believe on Jesus Christ and to get saved. Why? Because of the power of the word of God. Because that's what the Bible will do. That's the difference that the word of God will make in our lives. And so it's a power to save. I want to say also then that it's a power to cleanse. These knew this in our, our ancestors in, in, in the Christian faith that were before us. They understood that the Bible was the power to save. They understood also that it has a power to cleanse. And to take and to wash this filth of the world off of us. Uh, we were teaching in a series here, more recently we were talking about Egypt and coming out of Egypt. But I made a statement that I made before, and that is that it's a whole lot easier for God to get his people out of Egypt than it is to get Egypt out of his people. But how does that happen? It happens by the cleansing of the word of God, by the power of this book that can change us and transform us. All of us grow up with bad habits and, 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 and bad traditions and bad uh, patterns in our life. All of us have those things. We may have sinful habits that we do. And we may just think in a way that is unbiblical. It's not uh, in accordance to the word of God. You may just think in that way. But here's what I want you to understand. The Bible can cleanse you and the Bible can purge that out of you. In Psalm 119 in verse number 9, I love this verse. It says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. Amen? So when I read the word of God and when I have an open heart and when I receive the word of God in my life and when I have this desire to hunger and thirst after righteousness and I want to know God as I'm reading the Bible, not just mindlessly going page by page, but in the Bible and really wanting God to teach us and to change us, here's what I want you to know, that God can cleanse you from the filth and the filthy habits of this world and he can give you victory in your life. Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. In Psalm 15, in verse number 3, it says, Now you are clean, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And what an amazing truth, what a powerful, powerful truth, that we can be washed and cleansed. Ephesians says that we are cleaned or cleansed by the washing of the water by the word. And so as we read this book, it goes through us. And as we read it in through our eyes and as it goes into our mind, and then over time as it settles into our heart, all the time as the word of God is flowing through us, it is cleansing us and it's washing us and it's washing away the filth and the habits of this world and it's making us just a little bit more like Jesus as we go forward day by day. And that's exactly what the priority should be for every one of us is that we'd want to be just a little bit more like Jesus by the power, the power of the cleansing of the word of God. Now I want to say that it's cleansing, it's one thing to wash us and to purge away the filth of this world, but there's also then a power to sanctify us. Sanctify is something more than that, okay? And sanctify means then to be set apart for the master's use. And so what happens then is that the word of God comes, we hear it, our faith grows or increases, and by faith we believe on Jesus Christ and we ask him to save us. It is the power of the word of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the word of God then has power to save us, to save us from our lost and sinful condition. Then as a believer, as we start to read the word of God, it washes and cleanses us and it washes this world and the filth of this world out of our life. So that God then, who is the king of kings, a holy God, who wants to use a clean vessel, then God says, you know what? I believe that I can use you. I'll set you apart for my use. I'm going to set you 
into the service of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that every one of you is going to be a pastor or a missionary, but here's what I am saying, is that God desires for every born-again believer to be serving him. At your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, in the park, with somebody that you've known all your life, with somebody that you've never met before. God wants us to be a faithful servant of the Lord. And he wants us to serve him in that way. And so John 17, in verse 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so the, the word of God will set us apart. And, and how wonderful that is. Amen? And so the word of God will save us. And then the word of God will cleanse us and wash us to clean us. And then the word of God will set us apart. It will make us meet fitted meat for the master's use amen it'll make us fitted to be able to be used by God in a greater way and that's exactly what should be the desire for every one of us is that God would use us in that way in a greater way and then I want to say also and I think that this is very important in the time and the day in which we live in is that the word of God will also give to us power to keep standing for Jesus amen there's so much temptation in this day in which we live in for us to kneel, to kneel and to bow. Amen? Whatever time you hear the sound of the flute and the sackbut and the harp, wherever you're at, whenever you hear those musical instruments prayed, I want you to stop. And I want you to bow down to that idol, Nebuchadnezzar. And I want you to pray to that false idol. And that's what they did. I mean, masses of people, multitudes of people. It was just the thing to do. Everybody was doing it. Well, everybody wasn't doing it. There were three Hebrew boys that said, we can't serve a false god. And we can't serve a false idol. And we have to stand for God. So they come before the king. And the king says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent of this. Because maybe you didn't understand how serious this was. And they said, oh, king, we understand exactly what it is. And they said this, God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, that's okay. There's worse things than to go to heaven. Amen? And so they just, they just come before the king and everybody else was bowing. It is never so obvious that a Christian is standing until almost everybody else is bowing. And there's a lot, a lot of pressure on us today to bow, to bow down to the fears of the world, to bow down to the authorities of the world, to bow down, to break us, if you would, and to get us then to submit to another authority so that little by little it will get us used to this matter of having people, and might I say in many instances, evil people ruling and calling the shots in our life. Now, in order, in order, listen to me now, in order for that not to happen, and this is one of the things that I see, maybe you don't see it this way, but more and more and more, the group that is not bowing are born again believers. <coughs> it's saved people. It's saved people that's just not buying into all of it and just saying, we're going to follow the whole pattern of fear and we're just going to, we're just going to you know, crouch down and, and hide, if you would. But more and more, it's the group of Christians. And I want to say this. If I, in a very uninformed way, are observing that, I wonder if others are observing that also. I wonder if the devil knows that it's Christians that are not bowing. I wonder if evil leaders know that it's Christians that are not bowing. And that's just a part of it, right? I mean, what are you going to do? <clears throat> you just have to go forward and keep serving the Lord. We're not flying in the face of anybody. We're not trying to be defiant, if you would, towards anybody. That's not what we're doing. But what we are trying to do is just to stand as a child of God. Amen? 
And so the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, in verse number 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Two verses down from that it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so I want you to understand that God calls us to stand. He calls us just to take a stand for him, to uh, let others know that we're a Christian, to witness to others even when it's not comfortable and when uh, it feels like uh, it's not a receptive environment that we're in. We just want to tell people about Jesus. We want to witness for the Lord. You know, we're wise as serpents, but we're harmless as doves. We're not trying to go after somebody to attack them. That's not what we're trying to do at all. We're trying to actually see people saved. Amen? Remember in the story that we said a moment ago, and Carol was the one that just drew this out from history books in the past and said that when the reformers started turning back a little bit more to the word of God and a little bit more to the word of God, it was the Baptists that came out and aided them. They were actually showing them from scriptures how a person is saved through faith in Jesus Christ, only to have those enemies turn against them and to persecute them all over again. But you know what, you know what they're saying is, is that they were wise as serpents, but they were harmless as doves. They weren't the ones going around and persecuting and martyring and killing other people. They were just living for Jesus and telling people how to be saved and serving the Lord. That's what they were doing. But I want to say that it brought some persecution in their life. And so there's a need for us to understand about the power of the word of God to save us. And the power of the word of God to cleanse us and to wash our sins away. And the power of the word of God to sanctify us and to set us apart that we might be neat for the master's use. And then the power of the word of God to help us to stand, as the Bible says, in an evil day. Amen? Having done all to stand. And so I want us to pray if we wouldn't ask God just to set this to our heart and help us now. Hi, this is Brent Lenentine. And before we go, I want to say thank you for listening to this podcast. It is our prayer that today's message has encouraged and helped you. If you have any questions about how to be saved or your Christian walk, we would love to connect with you. Please visit us at gospellightbaptist.org. If you live in the greater Albuquerque area and don't have a church home, we hope that you'll visit with us soon at Gospel Light Baptist Church in Rio Rancho. And if you do have a church home, then I pray that you are able to attend there. Every person needs to be faithful and accountable in a local church where they can grow and serve. This podcast is a supplement to your spiritual growth and let it encourage you to be more for Christ. Again, our website is gospellightbaptist.org. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in today. If you are listening for the first time, we believe the most important decision you could ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal way. To find out more about that, please visit gospellightbaptist.org slash Jesus. If you are a regular listener, we want to thank you for your time, and we would ask that you subscribe to this podcast, and also take a moment to share it with others on social media. Until next time, may God richly bless you.